All right, so you can continue turning back to James chapter 1. We're going to continue our kind of methodical, methodically paced look through the first chapter of the book of James. Um, most of you know that when I'm not here or chasing a wild seven-year-old around, I work at ETSU in university relations, and, one of the, and, and my job there is video services manager. And one of the things that I, I get to do, probably, probably the most fun types of projects that I get are we get to do these like goofy, silly, funny videos with Bucky and usually Dr. Nolan, the president. Um, and we get, to, we get to come up with some sort of way for Bucky to embarrass the president or something like that. We, we, we try to come up with all these ideas. And one of the ideas that I've been pitching for like, how long have I been doing this? Almost four years. I've been pitching the same idea for a silly Christmas video every year, and it will never get made. I'm just, so I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what the video is now, because I, want, I just want you guys to get to at least appreciate a little bit of what goes on inside my head. And it only really works if you know Dr. Nolan and you know what he's like, but, but in this video, it's, it's for a Christmas video, it's, it's Dr. Nolan waking up on Christmas morning, super excited, throwing back the covers, hopping out of bed, wearing, of course, like a Superman onesie, or a Batman onesie, or a Spider-Man onesie. You, you get the picture. Some sort of, of superhero-like children's pajamas. And running down the stairs saying, yippee, yippee, it's Christmas, it's Christmas, it's Christmas. And sitting down under the tree and grabbing a present and putting it on his lap just as somebody else steps in the room and says, oh, <clears throat> Dr. Nolan, Christmas is next week. And then he gets all sad. And he unzips the onesie, and under the onesie, he's already wearing a full suit and tie with a bow tie on under it. <laughs> See? You guys are going to have to like, start writing letters to my office saying, let him make this video. The problem is, I don't think Dr. Nolan, we dressed him as an elf last year, and he almost fired me. So I don't think he's going to go for a onesie. But that's, but that's the pitch. Because, here's the thing, we all can connect to that idea, right? We all, like, the moment he jumps out of bed and runs down the stairs saying, yippee, 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 right? Like, we all can connect to that idea because we've all been kids at some point and we've all gotten excited about our birthday or we've gotten excited about Christmas or we've gotten excited about, you know, summer break and our parents taking us on a vacation or taking us to the pool or all of these things, right? Why do we get excited about that as kids? Because somebody's doing something for me. Somebody's giving me something. Somebody's making me happy. Somebody's providing some sort of good or service or thing for me that makes me feel, feel really happy and excited and all that, right? And for some of you, you may still get that excited on Christmas and you may run and start tearing open presents. I don't know. I, I'm not here to judge about your, your Christmas morning or your birthday you know, excitement levels. But what I will say is... There comes a point in your life where that begins to shift. Um, maybe it's when you get married. Maybe it's when you have your first kid. Maybe it's 
when you find somebody that you value a lot or you find some cause or something that you're super excited about. And, and, and Christmas and birthdays and these sorts of things begin to mean a little bit different things. It doesn't, it's not that as it, you're, you're as excited about what somebody's going to give you because there comes a point when you're like, you know what? I'm a grown-up. I can buy myself my own widget of some sort, right? I'm a grown-up. I'm an adult. I have a job. I can afford to buy myself a gift card to Shoney's or whatever it is that you want for Christmas this year. I don't, I don't need to, it's like, it's not, it's not as big a deal when somebody like gets you that thing. It's not as big a deal when Halloween comes around and and you're like, I can go get all this candy. I'm like, man, I could just buy a bag of candy and sit at the house and eat a bag, whole bag of candy by myself, which is basically what we're gonna, we did because nobody came to our house because we were already out, right? But you become more excited at some point. There's this transition from, oh man, somebody's going to give me something and that makes me excited to, oh man, here's this person in my life that I love, that I value, that I want to get this thing for because it's going to make them so excited. It's, it's, it's more about seeing somebody else's eyes open real wide when they open this thing that you've thought about and they get to experience this joy that you were hoping they would feel when you gave them that because you love them and because you want them to feel this love that you have for them in some sort of tangible way. And this, and this transition... For some of us, it's when we become parents. Sometimes it's when we get married. We have a spouse that we want to give something really special to. But, but there comes this point when it becomes more important. And, and, and honestly, you feel better about giving something to somebody else than you do receiving something because, because you're telling them just how much you value them. And that's the thing that I think James is really wanting us to understand this morning as we get to verses 16 through 18 in James chapter 1. And this is a, and this is a different kind of sermon. As I was prepping it, I'm like, man, there's lots of really positive, good-for-you kinds of things in this passage. And I'm like, not used to that. I'm used to like, here's where you're broken and awful and you're terrible and you got to change. Like, that's what I'm used to reading and teaching. And that's like, I feel... Weird being like, I got a really positive, upbeat sermon for you guys this morning. We're going to talk about how much God loves you, which is true even in those other times. But, but let's go ahead and read James chapter 1. This is verse 16 through 18. James says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This sounds really good. It's like all the good things that you experience are because God gives you those things. Amen. Let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. There's more. But, but seriously, it's like, this is a very encouraging word, especially for us in the church, because it's like, everything that's good in your life is good because God wanted you to have it and he gave it to you. 
So why does he start with this phrase? Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. What's he worried that we would be deceived about? Well, we have to kind of look back a little bit to what we were talking about last week. So I don't have this up on the screen, but I'm going to reread a couple of verses before. I'm going to start in verse 14, where he's, where he's concerned about falling into sin and pursuing sin. And he says, But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. All the good things come from God. And what he's, so what he's saying is, don't be tempted by all of these things that pull you away from the presence of God. He's, he's, he's reminding us of the warning that he's already given us, that, that, that we have sinful desire within us. And if we pursue that sinful desire, it's going to lead us toward our own demise. It's going to lead us toward death. And we talked about that last week, how that's, how that's rooted within us, how we're all fallen, how we're all broken, how we're all in need of something, and we all desire something, but, but because of the fall, what's within us is this sinful desire that on our own we can't fight against. So he's saying, don't be deceived by those things that are going to be calling you. Instead, here's a better alternative. Just realize that all the things that are good for you, all the things that you should actually be desiring, all the things that are of value and of use to you, all of those things come from above, coming down from the Father of lights, coming down from God. All of the good things, all of the things that you should actually be desiring, that you should actually want, that's the stuff that God is giving you. And so I think there's a couple of important things that we need to realize in here. A, that there are going to be things that we look at in the world that seem good that are not from God and therefore are not good for you. It may feel good, it may look good, it may be shiny. Oh, that's shiny thing. I want that shiny thing. But it's not a good thing for you because there are better things that God provides for us. So don't just chase after what seems good. And B, I think, and I think this is the more important thing. I think that what James is wanting us to do is understand the heart of God, right? Because he's writing to believers. He's writing to the church, and he's trying to help us understand a lot of what we're supposed to do as the church, but also what our motivations and stuff should be, like, like why things are happening around us the way they are. But he wants us to know the heart of God, and he wants us to know that God wants good things for us. Luke 11, verse 11, Jesus is speaking, and he says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Right? It's this picture of your, your father, God, wants to give you good things. If you want good things, he doesn't want to just give you bad things because he's, want, because he's like a mean prankster. Right? Like, like what kind of dad would that be whose son would say, I would like some fish, dad. Okay, here, have a snake. I don't know if you know me, the, there's only one kind of good snake. What is the one kind of good snake? A dead snake. That's correct. Like, like, to me, it's like, that is not a loving thing to give someone a snake, especially when they're not expecting a snake. An unexpected snake is even worse than just a regular snake, <laughs> right? Can we all agree we don't want an unexpected snake? But here's the thing. It's this picture of how could we expect God to be any different than to want to give us good things? He is our Father. 
And a good father, we should expect, would want to give good things to his children. So we want, so James is wanting us to understand that this is what your father is. This is what God is. Maybe your experience with fathers has not always been good. Maybe your experience has not been, my dad would never want to give me good things. He would be totally the guy who would give me a snake just to make me feel uncomfortable or weird or whatever. Like, maybe that has been your experience. But what James is trying to say, for those who are in Christ, for us who have been saved, and we're going to talk about the second half of this in just a second here. But, but for us in the church who have been adopted into the family of God, have been made sons and daughters of God, our Father wants to give us good things, and we should expect nothing less. Now, as He gives us good things, those good things may include trials of various kinds, like we've already talked about knowing that the testing of our faith will produce steadfastness, right? We've been talking about this already through this chapter. What God gives us may not be comfortable, but it is good. The things that God will put us through may not be the things that we think we want because our, our sinful desire tells us, I want the shiny thing that I see over there. But that may not be what's good for us. So it may not always be what we think we want, but what it is that God provides for us is good. And we shouldn't question that because God's heart for us is for us to have good. God is for us, and God wants good for us. The same kind of idea comes up in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 28. He says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, Now, a lot of times that can be taken in the context of God's only going to do good things to you and it's not fair when God does mean things or when bad things happen in your life, when you are experiencing pain or frustration or some sort of discomfort or whatever it may be, or things aren't just going your way. And that verse can be taken to say, God works, God's only going to give you the good stuff, and the bad stuff is because of your sin, or it's because you haven't been praying hard enough, or it's because you haven't done the right things, and so that's why things aren't working out well. But, but what he's saying is, for those who love God, for the people of God, All the things that you experience, painful, good, bad, separation, community, all of the, whatever it may be, anything that you experience, God is working together according to his purpose so that it will work together for your good ultimately. Then Paul goes on and he describes what it's like to be one of those people. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's very similar language to what we just read in James. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And this is the big idea behind James chapter 1, 16 through 18, is that, that God saves us. God calls us to himself so that he can bless us. Like, it's both of these things together. Like He makes us into his family so that he can give us good things. Like, he does this good thing for us so that he can continue to do good things for us and with us. And this isn't some sort of sermon where I'm trying to say, if you believe God, you're going to get a pool because God wants to give you a pool. I'm not that preacher. There's a, there's a different guy who preaches that. That one's not us. But, but in saving us, that is grace. 
That is a good thing that God is doing for us. And as he saves us, he also gives us good things. All the good things that we experience come from him. And now we can understand that, because look at it, look at it. Verse 18 of James chapter 1, of his own will... He brought us forth by the word of truth. That's just describing salvation. That's the gospel taking root in our heart because God willed that the gospel would take root in our heart. God willed that we would be saved. I'm just going to kind of change that wording a little bit. It brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He wanted to make us his people. He saved us of his own will so that we could be his people. And everything that's good that happens to us happens because God does those things for us. And he doesn't change in this, right? I think it's important that we see that verse. There is no variation or shadow due to change. God is consistently in control of taking care of everything good that happens to us. And because he's made us his, ki- his people, his kids, his family, we can have this right perspective that God is doing all of these things for us. And understanding that, that God saved us so that he can continue to bless us. So that he could, because, because here's the thing. I go, back, I go back to that picture of Christmas morning that we were talking about before. right? That same feeling that I get when I give somebody now a present and they open it and they get all excited. And they're super thankful, or they come give you a hug, or whatever it is, because you got them just this one thing that you knew was good for them, right? That feeling, I couldn't understand this verse the same until I understood that feeling in my own experience. But I would imagine that that's kind of where God is as he's blessing us, as he's saving us, as he's giving us good things. Maybe it's he's adding us to a body of believers that we can really connect with and be encouraged by and built up by. Maybe it's, maybe it's he's, he's given us a relationship or he's given us a child or he's given... He, there are so many things that he could give us that he knows to be good for us. And when he sees the joy that we feel as we experience those things that he is giving us. And I'm talking about... I keep using big life moments as examples, but it doesn't have to be anything that big. It could be like you got through that day of work and it was really difficult but you got to the end and he saw you through it. And that's a good thing. And you realize that because you got through that day of work, that good thing that happened to you came from God. Right? He, James wants us to have that kind of perspective that even those little things that we experience that are good, they are good because God wanted us to experience them because he loves us. And I think he, I think he enjoys when we enjoy the things that he gives us. Why else, would he, why else would we be given instruction to, to worship God and praise God and thank God, just like we just sang. Thank you, thank you, Father, you're all we need. Right? Thanksgiving is a huge part of the Psalms. Like the way that we are taught to worship, we're taught to be thankful for the things that God has done for us and given to us. And James is just reminding us yet again, every good thing that you experience comes from God. Every good thing. And I think he just wants us to understand that, that all of those good things come and, and, and it started with the main good thing when he saved us, when he called us to be his children. 
and we live in a society that says you, you just got to kind of go get what you want. You got to go get yours. You got to go get the things that are going to make you happy. You have to fight for it. You have to go get it. You have to earn it. You have to achieve it. All of this. And James is saying, no, no, no. It's not you go out and get those things and that will be what fulfills you. Instead, it's realized that everything that God has provided for you is what should fulfill you. That we deserve nothing and, we, and anything that we go and get for ourselves really offers us nothing in the long run. But really, the good things that we have are the things that come from God. And I said a little bit earlier, like, this is kind of weird because it's like, where's the challenge in this? It's just all the good things you experience come from God. So maybe we could just stop there and say, hey, all the good things come from God. Let's celebrate. Let's worship. Let's do that. But, but for some of you, like, it may be difficult to connect with the idea of a good father. Or it may be difficult for you to, to connect the idea of there are good things that have happened in your life or are happening in your life that God has given you. Because you may be looking around your life and saying, I'm not experiencing a whole lot of good right now. which I can go back to that Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where he says, all the things God is working together for good. So maybe, maybe currently in a small version, in your small perspective, like what's immediately in front of you, things don't seem good right now, but ultimately God is working out a much broader and much more complete good thing for you. But I would also say, you know, think about that. You think that you have a relationship with God. And think about what that relationship means. It means that you are connected to the creator of the universe, the one being in existence who can restore your relationship to himself so that you can have joy and eternal life with him. And so we should ask ourselves, does our attitude reflect our belief that God has done good things for us and wants to continue to do good things for us? Does the way that we speak reflect an understanding that God is giving us good things, has given us good things, and will continue to give us good things? And I know that may be hard, because you're like, I, again, I don't see it right now. Right in front of me, I don't see it. How can we shape our attitude knowing what Scripture says, knowing what God has told us is true about Himself and that He wants to give us good things and that He does give us good things? Sometimes we may have to just rest on the truth that Scripture is presenting even if we're not experiencing it tangibly right there, right now. But, but ask yourself, does my attitude reflect that I believe that God wants good things for me? Does God, get good, does God get credit for the good things that are present in your life? Right? Do you look at everything that you are surrounded by? People, things, stuff, job, school, whatever it is. Does God receive credit in your heart? Like, like, do you understand that the places that you have gone, the things that you have seen or achieved or acquired, whatever it may be, the relationships that you have, 
does God, are you thankful to God for having provided those good things for you? Or are you taking credit? Hey, look what I've achieved. Look at what I got. Man, I worked so hard and I got this thing. What does your attitude toward what you have received say? But more than anything, are you grateful for your salvation or do you take it for granted? And I use that phrase, take it for granted, very intentionally because it is so easy to be saved and just continue existing. But is that really salvation? If we can be, if we can have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe, right? We can be so separated by our sin that there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves, and yet he would sacrifice his son so that we could be restored and brought back into his family. We receive that kind of love, that kind of gift, and treat it like that was a cool thing that happened. And that's it. Can we really just be status quo believers? Because I don't know that we can. I mean, you've heard so many different examples like this before. I'm just going to pick, pick a metaphor. If, if you were standing in the middle of the road, or you were on the train tracks, or you were about to fall off the, fall off the, the high cliff, and somebody came and pushed you out of the way of the moving car, or grabbed you and pulled you back from the edge of the cliff so you didn't fall, and they saved your life, your relationship with them you would think would change. You would think you would be grateful to them all the time for the things that they did because that next moment would not have been there had they not intervened. Can we really be saved by the God of the universe who gives us good things and wants good things for us and be kind of blasé about it or just kind of go through life not super different. I don't think we can. And that's why when, when we have opportunities to be together as the church, yeah, talk about football. Talk about, talk about movies. Those things are good. Talk about the joy that you have in your salvation and your gratefulness to what Jesus has done. Talk about that alongside football. Talk about that alongside movies. Talk about how that movie reminds you of salvation. Or talk about how that movie is a picture of the depravity of humanity that God has saved you from. Like, let's not waste opportunities to be joyful and thankful for what Jesus has done for us. We're going to have lunch here in just a few minutes. Let's not waste that opportunity. Let's be amazed at what Christ has done. Let's be joyful at who He is and thankful that He's given us the life that He has. I'm speaking a lot this morning to people who are saved, to the church, and the perspective that we ought to have as followers of Christ. And I know that that's not everybody in here. 
And I want that to be for everyone in here. I want that you would know that same joy that comes from knowing salvation, from from experiencing that He of His own will brought us forth by the word of truth. If you're in Christ, I want us to be people who, who know that and feel that and experience that and live that in a very real and notable way externally. I don't want us to just talk about it and then sing words and not remain excited about that idea. I want us to be, like I said, this is a good word for us as believers. And I want us as believers to see this good word, hear this good word, accept this good word, love this good word, and react in a way that makes sense, knowing that you were dead and you've been made alive. You were lost and you are found. But if you're not in Christ, I want you to hear these words. This is the good father that we have experienced. And I know not all of you have had a good experience with the idea of a father. But, but the God that we're talking about here, the creator of everything, wants good for his people. And I pray, and I, as I pray in just a second, my prayer is that if you do not know him, if you have not experienced that kind of awakening that he's talking about here where he's bringing people forth, that's what we want for you because we want you to experience that so that you can come up here like the rest of the church is going to in just a few minutes. We're going to take communion and we're going to say thank you to Jesus for what it is that he's done for us. Thank you for what it is that your blood that was spilt, your body that was broken accomplished for us. I want that for you. I want you to have experienced that. I want you to have that same kind of joy that we can have in Christ because of what it is that our God has done. Let's pray.